Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Great to see all of you here in person. I see some new faces here today, and we want to welcome you. Also want to welcome all those joining us at home. How many of you, by a show of hands, are really glad to see 2020 in the rearview mirror? Can I see your hand if that's you? Yeah. I mean, uh, good to see a year uh, that's been really hard for many of us, really difficult, uh, really, really painful, a lot of loss, I think, in 2020. And we are given an opportunity here, the first Sunday of worship in 2021, to offer this to God, this year ahead to God as a gift back to him. And so we want to do that. And so uh, we just want to thank you for coming this morning. Before we jump into our uh, series today and continue and wrap up our series that we've been in, let me just mention two things. Uh, first of all, we begin uh, next weekend our brand new series, God at the Box Office. Now, this is always a fan favorite, and how many of you are just excited about God at the Box Office, especially this year? Um, the reality is there hasn't been a lot of movies in 2020. It's been a pretty sparse year because of the pandemic. And very few of us had the chance to even go to the box office in 2020. So we're going to bring the box office here, and we're going to do our series that we've done the last about 10 years, and it's always been a huge hit, and we're looking forward to that, so we trust that you'll join us each and every week uh, for our series, Got at the Box Office, beginning next weekend. Also want to mention that um, tomorrow night, Alicia's already mentioned one prayer. Uh, this is always a special one prayer for us because... The first one prayer of the year, uh, we hold our hearts open before God to receive a deposit of a word from him for the year ahead. The last number of years, God has really given me a significant word that as I look back on it at the time, I didn't even understand why God was giving me the word he was, but I realized in hindsight, there was a reason for it that became clear as the year went. And uh, so this might be a little unfamiliar for you. Maybe you've not been to one prayer, and maybe the idea of coming to hold your heart open to receive a word from God feels a little intimidating. But I just invite you to come with an open mind, with an open heart, and with a posture of eager receptivity to what God may have for you in 2021. Uh, I'm excited because I believe God is a word for all of us that he wants to give us for this year. So you can join us by way of Zoom. Zoom, it's gonna be different than it's been in the past. But different isn't bad. Different is just different. And we're going to trust God to meet us uh, at our one prayer. Now, some of you are likely surprised as you walked in today and you actually see Christmas decorations still up. You might even be surprised that we just sang some Christmas carols. Maybe you're a little bit surprised we're actually doing and continuing a series called Still Christmas. The reason is Christmas isn't over. Now, you may have taken down your tree, you may have put your decorations away, but, but it is still Christmas. I mean, historically, Christmas doesn't end on December 25th. Historically, Christmas begins on December the 25th. The leading up to Christmas is Advent, where we are anticipating, we are waiting in hopeful anticipation for the birth of Christ. And then Christmas actually historically, and this has been celebrated for centuries by the Christian church, begins on the 25th of December and goes all the way for 12 days through Epiphany, which is January the 6th, this coming Wednesday. Now, Epiphany, for those that may not be familiar, simply means a revealing. 
Epiphany is the celebration of the revealing that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is revealed as the Christ, not just to the Jews, but to Gentiles, to Magi, who actually find a revelation of Jesus uh, as the Christ, the Messiah, the King, the one who was coming. And we're going we're gonna to get to that here in just a moment. So I want you to know the 12 days of Christmas are, are not about a partridge in a pear tree. They are about what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus means to us. And we celebrate that for these 12 days that we're in right now. But before we jump there, let me just remind us of uh, the big overarching theme of the series we're in called Still Christmas. And let me remind you of our anchor verse once again. Psalm 46, verse number 10. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Now, Psalm 46.10 may not at first earshot sound like a Christmas verse, but it is very much a Christmas verse because here is the promise of Psalm 46.10. All may not be calm in our world, and all may not be calm in our life, but all is well and all will be well because God is present. Psalm 46.10 is an invitation. It is a gracious invitation by God to each of us. I mean, by way of reminder, the word still literally means to let go of your grip. It means to stop resisting. It means relax. It means to relax. Psalm 46.10 is an invitation to relax in God And so I want you to hear this verse, even again this morning, as we enter this brand new year, as God's personal welcome to you to come to him. In the midst of whatever it is you may be experiencing today, and to know that you can bring all of your uncertainties and all of your fears and all of your losses to God, and know that God is saying to you and to your heart, all is well and all will be well because God is present. Here is the big idea for this morning's talk. And it's really the big idea of Christmas for us. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, may this get etched on the tablet of your heart today. Here it is. The enduring gift of Christmas is that God is here and God is near. Most of the gifts that you've gotten this year are not going to last. They're not going to be forever. But Christmas gives to each of us a gift that is enduring, that will outlast our lives, that will live long and beyond our lives on this earth. And that gift is that God is here and God is near. God is not distant. God is not disinterested in your life. God cares and he's involved in every activity and every event that you face every day, moment by moment, day by day, God is here and God is near. And that, by the way, friends, is the central promise of Christmas. It's the remarkable promise we find in Matthew's gospel chapter one when the angel says this to Mary, verse 23. 
the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's really just a rephrasing of Psalm 4610. God is here and God is near. And so in this series, we've talked about all is not calm. And certainly it isn't this Christmas season. It hasn't been in our, in our lives, in our world. We talked about that there is a shortage of hope right now that many people feel. But the promise that I want to end this series on is this promise. God is with us. God is here. And God is near. So there are four chapters in the Gospels that I would say are pretty much dedicated to the nativity narrative. Those four chapters are Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2. So most of the Christmas readings that we have each and every year in the narrative come out of those four chapters of the Gospels. Interestingly, the one that is least noted that is least talked about is actually the second chapter of Matthew's gospel. And that's where we're going to land this morning. That's where I want to land the plane on this series that we've been in. Because it is the story of the coming of the Magi to Jesus, which by the way, likely did not happen at the manger. According to the narrative of the scripture, it didn't happen the night of his birth. And that's why Christmas doesn't end on December 25th. It continues all the way to the revealing of Jesus as the Christ, which is celebrated historically this coming Wednesday on the 6th of January. So let's pick up the narrative in the first verse, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now, just a few days ago on December the 21st, there was an astrological phenomena that took place that hasn't happened in some 800 years. It was the aligning of Jupiter and Saturn in such a way that it created a spectacular star that some have speculated could have been the Bethlehem star or the Christmas star that led the Magi to where the Christ child was. Now, it was too cloudy here to see it with a naked eye, and likely many of us didn't get to see this particular phenomena. And here's what we don't know. We don't know if that was the start. Likely it wasn't. But here's what we do know. We do know that something happened in the heavens that created a brilliant star in the sky that led the Magi to the place where the Christ child was. Now, and when they come to Jerusalem, here's what happens. They, they, they come and ask the question, where is this king? And the Bible says all Jerusalem became disturbed by it, by the question. And Herod himself became deeply disturbed. 
So much so that he gathers the religious leaders together and he says, I want you to tell me, according to scripture and prophecy, where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? And they say, well, it's likely in Bethlehem. He then calls the Magi to himself and he says this to them, I want you to go where the star leads you and when you find the Christ child, I want you to to bring me to him. Let me know where he is so that I may come and worship him too. But as we're gonna find out, that was not in the heart of Herod. Verses nine through 11. After they heard the king, they, the Magi, went on their way And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Coming to the house, not to the manger, but to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'm, trying not, I'm not trying to spoil the Christmas narrative for you, but nowhere in the scripture does it say there were three kings. We, we simply conjecture there could have been because there are three gifts that are brought that are actually named in the narrative of the scripture. Now here's what's interesting. Growing up, I loved the Christmas specials. I loved watching the animated specials as a kid. How many of you were like me and just held your breath for when they were coming on the television and if you could get the broadcast channels. There's only one that I can remember as a child that actually featured the Magi. It's the one that became, as a child, my all-time favorite. And I think the reason it did is because it, it opened something in my heart that helped me realize that Christmas was more than about presents, what I was gonna get under the tree. It was really about this great gift called Jesus, who, again, as a child and a kid, I didn't really connect many dots, but I remember how my heart was touched by the little drummer boy. For those who've never seen it, the little drummer boy is about an orphan boy who became orphaned because his parents were killed by bandits. He escapes for his life. He runs into the night. He kind of lives life on his own, and finally he comes upon these three wise men, these magi, who are traveling, following a star. He ultimately makes his way to where they are before the child. They're presenting their gifts to him. And he says, I have no gift to give. And one of the kings says, you have the gift of your drum. Play your drum. And the little drummer boy begins to play his drum. Now, I can't watch that without tearing up. There's just something about it that takes me back to the moment my heart got opened. So for the first time this Christmas, I watched it with my grandkids. It's not the kind of animated Christmas movie that most grandkids want to watch or children want to watch. It's old. It's, it's hard to maybe pay attention to. Maybe there's a lot, of, a lot of movement and activity in it. But we sat with our grandkids and we put on the little drummer boy and I hadn't watched it in years. And sure enough, I got all choked up as I'm watching the little drummer boy. And tears coming down my face. And all of a sudden, I feel the hand of my six-year-old grandson, Landon, reach over. 
and he wipes the tear off of my eye. It was as though the hand of God was saying, I'm holding every tear that you feel. It was a precious moment. It touched me deeply. It was probably the greatest gift I could have gotten this Christmas. And so I'm, I'm always touched when I read this narrative and I read this story. I always think about the story of the drummer boy. Because as a kid, I, I identified with what it felt like to be emotionally orphaned. And in some ways, physically orphaned. So I realized there's something in the story that connects with my heart as I watch the story. Now, here's what's so interesting about the Christmas narrative. The Christmas narrative typically ends with Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Think of all of the years you've heard the Christmas story. Think of all the readings of the Christmas story. I think you'll probably rarely be able to find a time that the story went past Matthew chapter 2, verse number 11 that we just read. And yet the story of Christmas doesn't end there. Far from it. Actually, some of the most profound things that actually take place, some of the, the most incredible events that happen, happen after Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. And here's the first one that we read about, verses 12 through 15. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, this is speaking again of the Magi. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. In a matter of hours, Joseph and Mary and Jesus, who was God with them, go from being free citizens to becoming refugees. You ever thought about this? A big part of the Christmas narrative is that Jesus spent the earliest years of his life as a refugee. Now, a refugee is simply someone who has faced persecution, the threat of their life, or someone that has a well-founded um, conviction that their life is in jeopardy because of their race, because of their religion, because of their nationality, perhaps because of their political opinion, or perhaps because of a social group that they belong to. And many times this is brought on by governments who are bringing opposition hatred and uh, really violence to those who are living as citizens in their country. So according to most recent statistics, there are today globally more than 26 million refugees in our world. The highest number of refugees that there have ever been. 
That doesn't include the 21 million estimated people that are what they call internally displaced. They've not left their country, but they've lost their home. And here's what's so remarkable about the statistics. Nearly half of those who are refugees are children. A large number who actually become separated from their parents or one parent during the process of the migration. Now, when you see on the television, you hear news reports of wandering refugees, of squatter camps, of people who are looking for shelter, I want you to think of Jesus. That is where Jesus found himself. That is where Mary and Joseph found themselves in the Christmas narrative. Listen, all was not well, all was not bright, all was not calm, but God was with them. God was near them. And they go into a period of being refugees for what is believed historically, when you put the narrative together, likely six of the first eight years of Jesus' life, he was a refugee. That's an eternity for young parents. That's forever. And yet that's where Jesus spent his earliest years. Not in Israel, but listen, in Egypt. Look historically who the arch enemies were of the Israelites. And Jesus finds himself finding safety and shelter in what is likely a hostile environment. The next verse we read is not an easy verse to read. In fact, there's a reason that this verse doesn't appear and doesn't get read and talked about in the Christmas narrative. As hard as it is to read, it is much more painful to even imagine it happening. It's dark. They're suffering. When we say, why do the innocent suffer? Why do righteous people suffer? We may not have an answer to that, but that has been an all-time historical issue that we've dealt with. In fact, I'll say this. It actually is the very reason that the birth of Christ was so significant. Because the sin and the death and the darkness that we experience in life actually validates the reason that we needed the light, we needed the Savior to come. Here's the verse, verse 16. When Herod, King Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. We've watched in horror as innocent children have been gunned down in schools. My heart, and I know many of your hearts, I hope are breaking when you realize the staggering number of innocent children who have been exterminated, not just in our country, but in our world through abortion. It's, it's sinister, it's dark. And every time I hear about especially a child suffering, 
can't even imagine it. My heart is so broken. We don't think about this particular part of the narrative, but in many circles, especially in Eastern Christian uh, communities and churches, there is a day celebrated and re- to remember and commemorate what is called the innocence. On December the 28th, And it's a day to remember what is called the holy innocence of children who lost their life, parents that grieved and mourned that their children were killed because of a madman. Now, I know it's hard for us. We we, we think about this, we look at this, and we just can't even imagine doing something like Herod would do. But here's what I want you to realize. Herod's violent act was brought on because of a fear of losing control. And in that, many of us can relate. We do desperate things, don't we, when we feel we're losing control. We feel things slipping out of our hands, and many times, what do we do? We become violent. We become agitated. We'll stop at nothing to not lose control. And that's exactly where Herod was. Emily Griffin wrote a series of Christmas devotionals where she actually talks about this. And I want to read just a a short quote from one of her devotionals. She says, in our weakness and fragility, we are tempted that we, to believe that we can be in control of our lives. But Christ disrupts our lives by coming into the world, challenging our sense of self-reliance. Can any of us say that there isn't a faint shadow of Herod within us, fearful of this threat to our ego? Herod didn't want to lose power. Herod didn't want to let go of his grip. Herod was unwilling to relax and be still. But in all of the Christmas narrative that we read, I never once see Joseph and Mary, though they were filled with fear, though they had uncertainty, I never once find them losing their center. I never find them losing themselves, losing the awareness of God's presence in the midst of all they were going through. In fact, the story kind of concludes in verses 19 through 23 of Matthew chapter two, where it says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took his child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. We have a second slide. But when he heard that Archelaus, now Archelaus was the son of Herod, who when Herod died in about AD 4, Archelaus becomes now the reigning king, and he's more ruthless. He's more violent. He, He does more devastation than Herod does. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, 
Joseph then withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. Three times in Matthew's gospel, the second chapter, three times, the Bible specifically says this occurred to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. Even the dark things, even the painful things, God already knew about. Long before they would come, God was fully aware. That is the enduring gift of Christmas, friends, that God is here and God is near. And as I look at Joseph and Mary, there are two verses of scripture I'm reminded of that I want to close with today. The reason I want to close with these verses is because to me, they are the essence of still Christmas. To me, they are embodied in what Joseph and Mary with God with us do when all is not calm, when all is not bright, when all hope seems lost. They are God's invitation to us. They are verses that God has used in my life not only to help me practice stillness, but to remind me of the enduring gift that God is here and God is near. The first is Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. In returning and in rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Friends, listen. We often claim that God is our salvation, but we behave like we are our salvation. We often claim that our strength comes from God, but the way that we act in our life is that we trust ourselves much more than we trust God. When the Bible here uses this word quietness, you could replace it with the word stillness. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust shall be your strength. That is God's promise to us this Christmas season. It is God's promise to us. It's an enduring gift that God is here and God is near. The final one before I read it, I want to tell you the significance of it. God has used this verse in my life on two different occasions in my journey. The first time came in 2002 when I was falsely accused and I was betrayed by what I believed was a close, trusted friend of mine. The pain was unbearable. The second time came in 2005 when we sold all that we had as a church. We gave up all of our possessions and we simply became nothing and started over. And in 2006, the church, Grace Crossing Church, was birthed from ashes. God's using this verse again in my life to remind me that God is near, that God is here. Exodus chapter 14 Verse 14, 
The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. You need only let go of your grip. Just relax. God is here. And God is near. So I'd like you to ask yourself is this reflective question, and then I want to share one final thing before we close. Where might God be inviting you to rest and relax as you enter this new year? Where might God be inviting you to rest and relax as you enter this new year? Would you just take a moment, would you close your eyes and still your heart in the presence of God right now? Open your mind and your heart to him. And would you just hold that question and ponder that just briefly? Where might God be inviting me to rest and relax as I enter this new year? That invitation feels very real to me this morning. Because of what Kelly and I are beginning to step into as we journey into this new year. A number of months back, Kelly uh, went to the doctor because she was having pain in her hips and her pelvis area. The doctor... Um, took an x-ray and they didn't see anything that they were concerned about and recommended she get physical therapy thinking maybe she had an injury from playing tennis or something like that. So she went to physical therapy for a number of uh, weeks, actually, a number of sessions. And was, the pain was actually getting worse. And so the physical therapist said, this is strange. This pain should not be continuing. I think you should go back to your doctor. She went back to the doctor and they did a... Um, the doctor said, I, I, just, I just want to find out what's going on in your hip. And so they could only get approved by insurance to do one part of her hip, just her left hip, where the pain seemed to be the worst at the moment. And we got a call that um, stunned us, um, put us on our heels emotionally. Um, the doctor called, and whenever a doctor calls and said, uh, we got the results of your MRI, are you sitting down? I'd like to share something with you. We knew it wasn't good. Let me just back up for a moment and say, eight years ago, Kelly had breast cancer. Um, 
survived breast cancer, went through five years of treatment, was declared cancer-free. Back in October, she actually had a suspicious mammogram where they did a biopsy and we got a call from her doctor saying it was benign. And man, we just exhaled in October. Just, wow, thank you. This was not that kind. This was the kind where you hold your breath. The doctor said, we, we see what we are concerned is metastatic cancer, breast cancer that is metastasized into your bones, um, which is automatically a stage four uh, cancer. Kelly's had a number of tests here through the holidays, and tomorrow uh, she'll have a bone biopsy, which will be kind of that final piece of the puzzle before we meet with the oncologist to find out what we're up against but we know we have a journey ahead. And I feel God's invitation to rest and relax in him. And in all of my sadness, I felt God's nearness in it. We both have had our moments. We both are leaning in. We both are trusting God. We're believing for the best, hoping for the best. But we also know everybody's story doesn't end the way we want them to. And we're trusting that God will be with us in the midst of the journey ahead. We've never held anything back from our church family. We've never lived in secret. That's just not who we are. And I'd say if there's ever been a time we've need held in your love and prayers, it's now. I sense the Lord saying, I will fight for you. You need only be still. Pray that we can maintain stillness, quiet trust in the midst of this journey ahead. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.